Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 91 of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, we've got two segments for you this week. Kicking these off, myself and Alex sit down to talk about new Super Luigi U, and then spin that into a conversation about DLC we'd like to see from some of Nintendo's other franchises. Uh, after that, Neil, Andy, and Nicholas talk about the recent spat of Game Gear releases on the 3DS and talk about which ones might be worth your money. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this segment of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, today, I'm joined by Alex Kalapi. Hi. Hello. And uh, what's your what's your title now, Alex? Because I know you kind of you stepped down a little bit, but I know you're still involved with Nintendo World Report, obviously. I am a contributing editor. Contributing editor. Not bad. Not bad at all. And um, today, we're going to be talking about um, well, well, two things. We're going to talk a little bit about New Super Luigi U, which uh, both of us are playing, and Alex reviewed for Nintendo World Report. And then after that, we're going to kind of spin off into a little bit of a discussion about uh, other Nintendo series that we think would benefit from DLC, or should at least maybe explore DLC in the uh, in the future. But first, let's start with, uh, the I guess, the big corner piece of the summer... Uh, or the year of Luigi, I should say. Well, I don't know. I guess Luigi's Mansion was probably the bigger deal. But, um, Alex, what did you give it when you reviewed it? I think I gave it, like, an 8 or an 8.5. I think an 8. Okay. Yeah. What was that? What was your just overall impression of it? Okay, so I am somewhat down on the new Super Mario Bros. series, or at least how it's been in uh, the last year or two. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Nintendo likes to claim, and a lot of the Nintendo fans like to claim, that the series is evolving and they don't need a new series to show all the evolution they're doing. But I think the new Super Mario Bros. series has grown pretty tired. It's why yeah. I didn't 100% new Super Mario Bros. U, and I and I just completely felt burned out. But I was desperate for some new Wii U content to play. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like at, like so many other people are. And I picked up the um the release for I think it was fifteen bucks after the digital deluxe promotion. Oh sure. And I came away way more impressed than I thought I would be. Um Luigi is a lot more fun to use than Mario because he has the higher jump from both Super Mario Bros. two and I suppose the original Super Mario Bros. 2, The Lost Levels. Yeah. He, uh, he can jump further. And this... I guess, like, the looser jumping and the fact that you can move around a lot faster and a lot more just makes him feel a lot more versatile and a lot different from Mario. Mm-hmm. And the levels are also quite a bit harder than the original game, which is what I enjoy about it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the jump is kind of interesting because it it's sort of like, I don't know, you have to sort of relearn how how to play the game, especially if you've played a lot of uh, New Super Mario Bros. U, or if you go straight from like from U to Luigi U, uh, yeah. it, it's definitely, the, there's like a learning curve there, but I, I think it does add to the challenge, and I like it, and, and once you really figure it out, you can sort of like exploit it and make it work, because you can kind of reach higher platforms or reach star coins that are high up in the air by like perfectly timing that jump because you, you do get kind of a float and you get a higher jump and um you know using it effectively can get can get you to a lot of uh, like new high places um but on the flip side yeah i mean it, you kind of like slide a little bit when you land and if mm-hmm. you just 
you know, if you just aren't used to it, you can definitely, like, mistime your jumps and, and run into an enemy or, or try to jump onto an enemy and completely miss him, and then he, you know, just kind of turns around and walks into you. Uh, right. A lot of, a lot of situations like that, but once you get a handle on it, I, I think it's a lot of fun, and it adds kind of a, an extra layer of challenge, which I uh, appreciated. Uh, yeah, and uh, one of the things I mentioned in my review, which is one of the things that I think set this game apart from New Super Mario Bros. U, despite the fact that there are almost no new assets uh, or content brought into the game, is the fact that the levels are designed with Luigi's physics in mind. There yeah. are certain jumps that only Luigi could probably easily make, like because of how long they are, and the uh, the flutter as you described earlier, has a strategic use. Because let's say you need to delay landing on a platform by maybe a half second, you can just float in the air and then just time your landing adequately. Right, yeah. No, I absolutely agree. Yeah, there's a lot of like strategy to it, and um, you kind of do have to, to sort of plan ahead and, and be aware of what you're doing. And I think the levels are, are exactly built for that. And they, they don't feel like... They were designed as an expansion to feature, you know, the full cast, including Mario, and then it was just sort of changed last minute to kind of tie into this Luigi promotion. I mean, it, right. it's very much designed for Luigi. I mean, even to, like, superficial things where in each level you can find, like, little Luigi mo motifs, like, either in the background or sometimes just straight up in, in the foreground. Um, little 8-bit Luigis everywhere, which is kind of fun. It, it's kind of fun to go through and, and try to find all of them. I, I guess there's one in each in each level. Really? Um, yeah, I haven't seen all of them, and you don't get anything for seeing them. I mean, it's not like, right. like an achievement or something, but it's just like it's just kind of neat to walk around and, and spot one. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention about the game, which I actually did also mention in my review, is that because the levels are shorter, which is one thing I was actually worried about. I thought they were going to use this as a meth as a way to uh, skimp out on the content, mm -hmm. but because the levels are difficult. It actually still takes about six hours to clear the game while beating most of the levels and not even getting the star coins. But one thing I noticed was that the pacing, because the levels are so much shorter, is actually a little bit similar to a bit trip game. Uh, mm -hmm. Runner, specifically, in the sense that uh, because you're moving along so fast and because there's so much stuff you have to dodge, you basically feel forced to go through a level and when you do everything perfectly the first time in that minute and a half that it takes you uh it's just a really good feeling right absolutely i agree um the, the short level same thing for me i didn't know how it was going to work but you you start with 100 seconds left so right yep. when the level starts you get kind of the like warning that, that your time's running out uh, mm -hmm. as in all mario games and then the um levels are, are just shorter on top of you know needing this incentive to go through them faster or you'll die and um I, I wasn't sure going into it how I was going to feel about it, but I, I think it works really well. And it's kind of this perfect bridge between, like, the full-on levels from New Super Mario Bros. U and then, like, the challenge levels that were also in that game. You know, these levels yeah. are longer than, than those challenge levels, and there's more to them, but it still definitely feels like there's not much room for exploration or making mistakes. It's kind of like you, you, you do have to keep going. Um, yeah. I appreciated that. But one of the uh, one of the interesting things about that was that if you not necessarily take your time, but if you go through the level normally, it probably takes on most levels about sixty-five to seventy of those seconds mm -hmm. to uh, to beat the level. And I'm I don't know if I'm saying the levels were too short in this because I don't really have that many complaints. But it was very interesting to me that I couldn't that there were still a few seconds I could take to maybe look for a star coin 
or um, yeah. get that one power up I see that's uh, just sort of up in the air. Like, I didn't feel rushed to the point where I couldn't enjoy the levels. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Because of those star coins, because they still want you to explore a little bit, but you, it's kind of the point where it's like, if you're trying to get a star coin and you don't get it after, like, ten seconds, you kind of just have to go, because unless it's the third one and, you, and you've gone through quick enough that you have enough time built up, um, and you know you're almost at any, like, if it's the first one, you just can't burn up a lot of time trying to get it. You almost kind of just have to keep going and then, and then come back for it on a on a second playthrough. But it, but it's, like, perfect. You, like you're saying, it's not like <clears throat> from the second the level starts, you need to be running and never stopping or, or you're, you know, you're not going to make it. it. It's never like that. And they do little things, too, like in the castle stages, they'll, they'll give you a bonus 100 seconds once you get to the, uh, the bosses in each of them. Um, that way you're not, like scrambling in the last 20 seconds to, you know, beat the entire boss. Yeah. Um, which is a nice touch. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the interesting things about those bosses, though, were that, like, there might be one exception, but I don't think there is, but I'm pretty sure every single boss in the game and all of the story is recycled from New Super Mario Bros. U, which I don't yeah. know if I'm justified in complaining about that, but I think I am a little. I think so, too. Like, I was hoping, you know, I mean, it, it's a Mario game. Even New Super Mario Bros. like, it's not like the story was, you know, overwhelming. I mean, they're at the castle, and then Bowser grabs them and, and throws them miles away, and then they have to get back to the castle. Like, okay, that, you know, that's fine. Um, but I was hoping there'd be a little bit of a difference here, or a little bit, like, maybe brought to the, like, attention brought to the fact that Mario's not there. Like, I was kind of hoping in the yeah. beginning, you know, they're all sitting at the table and Mario's hat is just there. I was hoping, like, <laughs> the, the, like, Luigi and the Toads were going to get thrown away and then it was like Mario was going to, like, come back from the bathroom and, like, be stuck in the castle with Peach or something. I don't know, just something that kind of, like, just acknowledging the fact that, that Mario's not there. But it really is, I mean, it's the same exact cutscenes and events, uh, just like with Mario basically photoshopped out. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, I think, uh, spoiler alert, but Nabbit does make one appearance in the final cutscene if you do play as him. And it might even be if you don't play as him. But, uh, yeah, Nabbit is playable in single player if you hold down the ZL on the gamepad when you enter a level. Oh, but, really? I, yeah. I didn't even know that. That's and he cool. does make one appearance. In the, I guess that's uh, kind of cool. Game. It's kind of building in a way, like, um, because he's invincible, um, apart from, like, falling in, in cliffs or, or lava or anything like that, but he doesn't take damage from enemies. So it's almost like building in the um, the different, I don't know, ways that, like, Nintendo has, has had these things where it's like if you die five times, they give you, like, an item that makes you entirely invincible so you can beat a stage. So, But now it's yeah. like you can kind of just manually choose to, to do that. So that, that's a nice yeah. touch. Yeah, definitely. I think it's cool too. I've talked about it before on the the podcast, but I think that's a good inclusion too. If like you're playing with someone, especially like someone younger, like if you're playing like with a little kid, like if you got a little like nephew or niece or something mm-hmm. who's like seven or eight and wants to to play the game with you. I mean, there's no way they could keep up and 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 play without dying a lot. But if they play as Nabbit, then they're they're totally fine, um, for the most part, apart from falling. But I, I think it's a, a cool a cool choice to have that that sort of special character in there. Yeah, but it does feel like a little bit like they cut corners in a few places. Like, um, if you play as four characters, one of them has to be Nabbit. Like, if you do the four-player multiplayer, which means That's if true. you have four of yeah. us, or I guess five of us in like in one room playing this game, someone has to be Nabbit, even though we're probably all experienced. And, right. Uh, That's true. It would be better yeah. if, if Nabbit was optional, uh, and there was still like one more regular character, yeah. And it feels like he could have used a tiny bit of balancing, 
because uh, just for fun, before I wrote the review, and I guess to try out Nabbit, I went to the final Bowser stage to play as Nabbit in single player. And once I got to the Bowser fight, it became physically impossible for me to die. Because um, uh, like when you get hit by a boss, you just bounce back and flash. And because yeah. on the Bowser fight, which is exactly the same as the original, there are no pits to fall into. So I could basically just do whatever I want as long as I didn't run out of time. And oh, okay. Yeah, I would beat him, which which bugged me just a tiny bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I could see that. I mean, it, at least it's optional. But, yeah, I mean, it does, I mean, as it's designed to do, but it does take away almost all the <laughs> Right. Um, but I am disappointed that the, the boss battles are exactly the same. Yep. Um, you know, the, the cutscenes, like I said, I, I would have liked if there was a little bit more thrown in there, but not the end of the world, but, it, I mean, if you're remixing all those levels, why wouldn't you remix the, the boss fights? You know, yeah. I, I don't know. Even just a little. <clears throat> like, just to, like, change their patterns, or maybe add a new attack or something. Right, or, like, what if you had to fight two at once or something? I don't That'd know. That'd be neat. Yeah, just, yeah. just do something, something a little different, but that wasn't the case. Um, but overall, like, I, so, if you gave it an 8 or an 8.5, that, that's probably where I would have gone. Um, I really enjoy it. I think it's kind of a, a cool, like, modern version of, of the Lost Levels, mm-hmm. um, without being just entirely unforgiving, but, I mean, yeah. right from the start, it, it's pretty challenging, and, um, it, it does, it does test you in a lot of ways, and I, I enjoy it. I mean, I, for 20 bucks, and for Nintendo's first, like, real foray into DLC for their console games anyway, um, I, I think they've done a really good job. Yep. This is definitely, like, uh, I know it's not on the Nintendo system, but it reminded me a lot of the Grand Theft Auto 4 episodes from Liberty City Packs, where they had, like, their own 10 to 12 hour stories that uh, basically took place in the same game, but it felt all new because it was from a different perspective. And this feels a lot like that, like, a little bit more like an expansion pack than just DLC. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, you've got 80... I mean, not new levels, quote-unquote, but, I mean, they all feel new to me. I mean, it's not right. like they're the original levels with just some slight variations. I mean, to me, they don't feel anything like the original levels. Oh, yeah. They all have their own unique ideas behind them. Yeah. I think they all have new names, too. Yep. I could be wrong, but, yeah, okay, I thought so. So. Yeah. And I haven't gotten to the Star Road yet, but I'm, like, itching to, to get there. Although, collecting all the Star Coins is going to be almost impossible but oh, yeah. i want to do it because i i mean by the time you get to like world three these levels are getting really difficult and so i can only imagine what star road is going to be like mm. yeah definitely. check that out but um yeah so let's talk a little bit then about what we think other series uh from nintendo could do for dlc um obviously on, on the 3ds we've gotten a little bit they've already done dlc for um new super Mario brothers 2 and then uh fire emblem has gotten some some dlc but let's focus maybe on on the wii u a little bit and and some other maybe more flagship um series for, for me an, an obvious one and i, I talked about it a, maybe a couple weeks ago on, on the podcast or last week but i think super Mario smash brothers the the newest one will for sure have dlc well what kind because i was thinking about this when you sort of informed me that we were going to be talking about this and smash bros is the obvious first choice but i was sort of thinking that like because it's a fighting game that has some kind of competitive edge there's a certain limit to what kind of dlc you could do so i was wondering like what kind of dlc you thought they could practically do in the game well i mean for sure that that i think the most obvious is is new or extra characters um 
I mean, even like fighting games that like you know people play in tournaments and stuff. Um, you, you know, Street Fighter Four. Right. Um, you know, the series like this, they still have downloadable characters. Yeah, they usually um, have a couple. Yeah, now I'm not sure like what the the rules are for these tournaments. You know, if they're allowed to use them or if it's got to be all original cast or whatnot. But I, I yeah. that's like in that to me that's the easiest easiest one. Um, now whether or not it's the kind of thing where these would have you know ten years ago these would have all been on disc, but now they're just holding them so they can charge you for them. And you know I hope that's not the case. But um, either way, that that just seems that seems too too easy. I, I think they're definitely going to do that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. In the very least. Um, and then you know maybe levels. Um, even if they don't charge for those, but you know, like they had the um the custom levels in Brawl, so you know, what if each week they just put out like a new sort of custom level for free and, and let you download it and check it out? Yeah. Uh, um, I definitely think that it's completely reasonable to think that they're going to do it. I am very curious to see uh how much Nintendo limits itself in the Super Smash Bros. department. Because I don't think like you can you can uh, make thirty characters and then add eight new ones through DLC. I think right. it would be like two to four at most new characters. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like that that's usually sort of what these fighting games do. Like I think Injustice to this point has had like maybe three or four new characters, and I think that's usually where yeah. usually where the, the fighting games usually keep it. Mm. Um, yeah, that's that's what uh, they did for Mortal Kombat. Yeah. So that would be cool, and I, I think that would be a good opportunity to like bring back some some fan favorite characters who you don't really want to have in the game proper. You know, like let's say people really want Doctor Mario back. Well, it's like that's not one you want to maybe unlock in the game because we've already seen Doctor Mario. But that's the kind of one where they could release a month later and, and have you you know pay a couple bucks for it if you really want them. Yeah. Um. You know, I'd rather in the game, I'd rather them be bringing sort of new characters we haven't seen, and then those those classics, you know, like Toon Link and stuff, could could come back, uh, in that format. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, now that you think about it, like that seems like the most practical thing to do. But like the fan of Smash Bros. in me, kind of wants them to use the DLC to get maybe <coughs> just a bit more creative with their character choices. Like we really want to put this guy in, but because we're marketing this game, we don't know if uh, we we would have a space for the Power Glove in the game or something. <laughs> But once the game's already out, yeah, then you then you throw it in there just for fun, <laughs> right? Yeah, that would make sense. <coughs> yeah. Um, and then the other one that came to mind um was the Legend of Zelda. <laughs> um, like I was thinking of like Skyward Sword and how much I I really enjoyed Skyward Sword and how I would totally be into like I don't know like a DLC like I don't know New Dungeon, um, mm. you know, or I mean, what what if like. They made a plan, sort of like with Fire Emblem, where they're releasing, you know, or were releasing new level packs every week. I mean, what if they're like releasing new little like mini dungeons every week, um, or even every month, like full full on dungeons that use, you know, just sort of used everything you already have in like new and, and more complex and challenging ways. Yeah, um, I I don't know if like every week a mini dungeon would be realistic. I do think that uh, it could be like New Super Luigi U, where maybe. Uh, for 20 bucks, they do add a new dungeon, um, maybe a little more story, because I think what they'd want to do is connect it to the game just a little bit. But I don't think Zelda is the type of series that lends itself to multiple DLC releases in the same way New Super Mario Bros. 2 did. Sure, sure. 
Yeah. I could see that. What about uh, what about you? Did you have uh, any other series you thought could could use DLC? So the funny thing is, like, I don't know if uh, I've been a little transparent, but the two series I actually thought wouldn't be the best for DLC, I was specifically thinking if Nintendo wanted to make money, they wouldn't do Zelda and Smash Bros. <laughs> like, so you're like the complete opposite. <laughs> no, which is fine. It was no because you did make it a little more apparent about like how they could do it. Like maybe they could limit the DLC, which makes a lot more sense to me. But I think the two best ways to go about it, if I was Nintendo and I wanted to be practical, would be 2D platformers like Donkey Kong Country Returns, like New Super Mario Bros, or even 3D platformers, just things that are level-based. Those are the obvious first choices. Mm-hmm. But the other one that is a little more personal is I think that the WarioWare franchise could lend itself really well to DLC. Because I play those games, I beat them about two to three hours. Yeah. And then I want more WarioWare, but there's no way to really get it until the next one comes out two to three to five years later. (laughs) Right. So maybe a little bit of consistent DLC that adds maybe an extra 10 to 20% onto the game. Mm -hmm. I don't know, that, that one might be one that I would plunk money down immediately. On. For just, like, a bunch of new micro-games, basically? Yeah. Least. To just, like, another... Maybe they would do it in, like, characters. Like, a new character, and they have their own, like, 15 to 20. Like, uh, like the WarioWare games regularly have. Like, how each character right. has their own themed set. Maybe you could do that as the level packs. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just invent a new character called DLC. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why not? That, that whole WarioWare universe is just crazy already. Um, yeah, that would be kind of interesting. I, I could see something like that for that series. Yeah. Um, I, I wish they would just turn Game & Wario into <laughs> DLC, and you could just download each game by itself for a small amount of money. Um, yeah, that, you, that would you know, they were, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were actually talking about how Game & Wario was supposed to be, like, sort of on the system when you bought the Wii U. Yeah. And I feel like that might have still been the best option for this. Like I don't, I don't know if that should have been on a disc. I mean, th- this is a completely different territory, but but I was thinking about this earlier today. But, yeah, yeah, I I think it would have functioned much better as that because I, to me they are that game functions a lot is just like tech demos. Um, I mean, well, and a lot of the games are the tech demos from when the Wii U was revealed uh, two years ago, I guess. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's only a few that are really worth any kind of money, but not worth forty dollars. But um. Yeah, that's a whole other <laughs> a whole other topic. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if I can think of any others. I mean, like Zelda and Smash Brothers are two I went to right away. Um, you know, something like Metroid? No, not really. I mean, um, if we ever got a new F Zero game, I mean, you could just apply the same idea from Smash Brothers to that, right? Like new racers, right. um, you know, new stages or like classic stages from old. Uh, F-Zero games that you could purchase, um, you know, something like that. Yeah, uh, and, and then two of the obvious money makers, Animal Crossing and Pokemon, I think there sure, is a way yeah. you could monetize on that, but I think that those series personally lend themselves much better to the little handouts Nintendo gives them, like, once every month or two. Like, here's a new downloadable Pokemon. Can you imagine if in, in like, Pokemon X and Y, if they had it where you could spend real money to, like, automatically get, like, Pokemon from past games. Like, if I could just pop down $5 and get a Charmander. 
They'd be, they, I mean, all Nintendo's monetary problems from, like, the, the poor Wii U launch and then the end of the Wii would be, like, solved right away, I feel like. That sounds so greedy of them to do, but, I mean, <laughs> you, you can't disagree with the fact that that would make money. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's like a, it's sort of like taking the, the free-to-play model from, you know, cell phones where it's like, oh, here's a game for free, but if you want extra perks, you know, spend a small amount of money. And then, yeah, just applying it to Pokemon, where it's like, you have this full game, and you can still get this Pokemon, you know, through the regular means of, you know, trading from past games and everything, but if you just like to straight up buy a uh, Charmander or a Pikachu or, you know, any of the classic 150 or any from any generation, uh, then enter your credit card information and we'll do that for you. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty neat. Uh, I think they'd have to <laughs> price it in a in a fair way, like, I think... 50 cents to three dollars depending on the pokemon yeah. and then certain like ones like legendaries you would have you wouldn't be able to purchase at all i think would be the way to go yeah. about it yeah and obviously like the like i don't know like the uber rare pokemon you wouldn't be able to the uh i don't know articuno right. and stuff yeah <laughs> but um yeah i mean that seems like a easy way to to make some money yep um but uh yeah and then animal crossing too i you can Definitely see some DLC in there, um, but obviously New Leaf isn't built for that, so it would have to come later. But. Yeah, it would definitely have to be with like a Wii U game. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I think that about does it. Did you have any any other ideas? No, I, I think we covered everything in just enough I detail. Think so too. I think so too. All right. Well, Alex, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Uh, if you out there are listening and you have some ideas for future Nintendo DLC, uh, post it on the Talkback thread and uh, and share your ideas. And uh, maybe they'll happen someday. Probably not, but maybe. Uh, <laughs> and then go play New Super Luigi U if you haven't yet, because that game is sweet. Yep. Um, all right. Great. Well, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. to a talk on the Game Gear selection on the 3DS Virtual Console. With me to talk about all Sega's misunderstood handheld, we've got Nick Bray. Hi. And Andy Gergen. I need more AA batteries for my Game Gear. The funny thing is, is that I actually had a Game Gear when I was a kid, but I never played it out of the house. I had an AC adapter. I and... never had a Game Boy as a kid, but I did have a Game Gear and I did play it. Yeah. No, I mean, I enjoyed the Game Gear when I was younger, but more of a, as a counterpart to my Game Boy. Because I think, well, I think I got the Game Boy, and then my brother got the Game Gear, and then never really played it. So then I just kind of started playing it. But I don't think I ever actually put batteries into it. I think I just played it plugged into things. 
I was um, very much a Sega kid when I grew up. I mean, I grew up on NES, but then I didn't get a Super NES after the 8-bit era was done, and I never, ha- I never had a Game Boy until Game Boy Advance. Yeah, um, I mean, so as part of being a Genesis kid, I eventually went out and bought a Game Gear because I was totally convinced that the color screen was was all the rage and the the future of handheld gaming. Which it was. It so was, just, just not the, the Game Gear. The you know, Nomad, the, the... maybe. For people who don't know the Sega Nomad, which was a... It was literally a portable that you could play Sega Genesis games on. Oh, Neil, I, I had a Nomad as well. Oh, you don't ha- had? That's yeah. I, I It's a long story, but I do not have it anymore. The oh. Nomad was actually a really cool piece of technology, but it had some super, really serious design flaws. I've always um, kind of wanted to track one down more out of curiosity, they're, but they're, 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 worth expensive. A, they're worth a ton of money now. The first problem with the Nomad was there was no internal compartment for batteries, so you had oh. to either attach a battery pack to the back of the system or plug it in at all times. And, wow. of course, it ate batteries like crazy. And the second problem with the Nomad was that a lot of Genesis cartridges were just not meant to be used on the go, and they would lock up if you tapped the cartridge. So if the cartridge Ooh. physically moved, it would, it would freeze the game. Um, but I, I played through, like, at least half of Shining Force 2 on a Nomad in high school. <laughs> I, uh, um, I was definitely a Sega kid until about 97, 98. Yeah, I was kind of the same way. I mean, for me, it was more dictated by my brother. Um, I think his logic was that uh, his friends had Super Nintendo, so he wanted to get a Genesis. And sure. he ended up the, the first system that was in my house when I was a kid, because keep in mind, I was born in 88. So well, I was I on was... the younger side. But... Uh, but yeah, Genesis was a system that my brother bought, I think, close to launch with its own money. So that was my... I think we got X-Men and Sonic the Hedgehog 1 when we got the system. When I was in middle school, I actually rode um, a van to school. I don't know if this is the same in other parts of the country or even other parts of the world, but in in parts in, in my part of the country, if there's not enough people to fit on a bus, they send like a, a van around. Uh, so I rode a van with, like, six other kids, and two of the kids in the van were friends, and they both had Game Gears, and they actually would play them, multiplayer, with a link wow. cable on the way to school. And they would play – they played Mortal Kombat for Game Gear <laughs> multiplayer. It was it was quite possibly one of the coolest things at the time I'd ever seen. Um, so when I got my Game Gear, I picked up Mortal Kombat. I actually played a ton of Bust-A-Move on my, on my uh, Game Gear. Um, but I never played any of the Sonic games because, quite frankly, they're not very good. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I did a feature on the site, uh, you can read it, I kind of just go, uh, go lightning fast over all the Sonic games. There were 12 in total, and keep in mind the Game Gear was around for like 4 years tops. Yeah. Um, and there were 12 Sonic games. There were, um, you know what, I'm gonna, I, I just have the list of current virtual console games here, but I will look at the Sonic Game Gear list and just run them down. So everyone knows what they are. We've got uh, from the main line, but like you know, kind of the the portable mainline Sonic games. You have Sonic the Hedgehog one and two, and Sonic Chaos, and those all had Master System versions as well. And then, uh, yeah, Chaos did. Chaos was one of the last Master System games, if I'm not mistaken. And then Sonic Triple Trouble, which I actually had as a kid, and that's what I was always told was the best one. And if that's the best one, then yeah. they all kind of suck. Yeah, I remember I was really excited when we got our first batch of Genesis Game Gear games, or I'm, or I'm sorry, Game Gear Virtual Console games, what, about 6, 12 months ago? Um, I was really excited about it, and especially because the Virtual Console emulator on the 3DS for Game Gear is great. 
Yeah, um, it's amazing. It's but by, when, uh, but I believe, M2, uh, where credits do. Once, once I started, started playing these games, they, they really they didn't hold up, especially uh, Sonic Triple Trouble. It was just not yeah. not good. I did play the, the Shinobi game on Game Gear, which is really pretty damn good. Um, because that, that just did interesting things. Um, as far as like you, you know, it had that that Mega Man like start where you could do one of four different levels, and then you'd unlock a different colored Shinobi character. Okay. And then go through it, and then there's like a final stage. And I, I mean, it was still a little janky because I feel like the Game Gear suffers from like the but is it the Neo Geo that has the giant ass sprites? Is that the yeah. sprites are so big that then it's hard to see what's around you? Yep, yep. That is very much the case. Well, I've played Sonic Triple Trouble a little bit. I also played, um, I think it's Dragon Crystal. Does that sound right? Yeah, that was the the weird RPG that I think was Ease-like. Um, that yeah, came out it's last it's a, year. It's a roguelike. Yeah. And I played that a little bit, and it's it's just like there's like no story or anything. It's just you start with a character and you just play through maze after maze after maze, and if you die, it's game over. It's it is. Very odd. There's not a lot of progression to it that I could tell because it was too difficult to get very far. Yeah. Um, but that that's actually old news. We yeah, got a whole the, bunch of new games. Well, the weird thing is, is that as far as that kind of brutal, like you have to restart after you die, uh, Tales Adventure, which uh, I, I reviewed for the site in the review mini style, um, Tales Adventure has the same thing where if you die once, then you lose the game. Uh, really? You better remember your password or save state. Oh, that's awful. Because it's pretty, it's pretty damn brutal. Um, Tales Adventure has a lot of cool ideas. Where um, what I heard about before I went into it was that it was kind of like Metroid. But as I played it, it kind of reminded me more of, I guess, more of like a a nonlinear gar- gargoyles quest. Um, because you know, Tails can fly. Uh, you get different items. You can have there. There are twenty six items in all, although. You don't need to get all of them to beat the game, and the items give you power-ups. Like, you start off where Tails can throw a bomb, and then you get, like, this miniature robot that then you can control to, like, go into areas that Tails can't. Um, You get a hammer. You get different, like, medallions with characters' faces on them that let you do things like the spin dash and punch. Um, It's a slow-moving game, though. Yeah, Like, I watched some video footage of it, and it just... It doesn't feel like it's a game that belongs anywhere near the Sonic-like logo. I almost um I almost bought this game the other day, but after reading a bit about it and stuff, it just I, th- I thought it was a platformer at first. Um, that's that's what I would, that's what I heard at first was that it was like a puzzle platformer with Metroid tendencies, and it's kind of but not really, um because there's twelve different levels that you go in and out. Um, as you get different abilities, you need to go back to levels sometimes. Kind of not really knowing any idea of where to go. Uh, oh, so accused you of... don't. It's not even just backtracking within each level. You have to actually come back to yes. levels multiple times. Yeah. Oh. Because okay. twelve stages, twenty six items. There's a lot of back and forth. Yeah. I mean, it, it has some cool ideas, but it just I I don't really recommend anyone play that game. But it's it's interesting. It um, looks kind of interesting. I'm yeah. I'm glad. You wrote a review and it kind of scared me off because I, I might have actually splurged on it. <laughs> I'm now now I almost certainly won't. Um. So yeah. So so Nick, you played, or have you played some of these games before? Or I've played some of the Sonic games and stuff from like uh, the Sonic collections on GameCube and yeah, because um, I think everything. all twelve of the Sonic games were on Sonic Gems Collection. 
Yeah. Or was it Mega and Collection? I don't know. I forget I exactly. Think there was a bunch of them on Sonic Adventure DX, and yeah, then no, they I released think, the rest of them on Gems Collection, I think. I think there were there were 12, all 12 Sonic games were on DX, then six of them were on Gems Collection, and then Gems Collection also had a smattering of other Game yeah. Gear games. Yeah, yeah. So I've tried out some of them. I tried, um, I don't think it's out, uh, one of the Sonic Racing games, I've played a couple of those. Yeah, there was well. Sonic, Sonic, Sonic Drift. Drift and Sonic Drift 2, where the first one actually only came out in Japan. Yeah. And uh, that, that's, you know, it looks nice, but it's really hard to sort of control. Now, are those games kind of more like Mario Kart inspired? or uh, I they're think much it's around more like, that time. They're more like, uh, they play more like something like OutRun, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, like the circuits, the circuits are circular and but uh, just the way it looks and the way it controls feels a bit. It doesn't. It's not like Mario Kart. Okay, it's like it's Sonic more Kart like uh, those. You know, there's not much ver- track variation. There's like hard lefts, hard rights, and like yeah. that's about it. Yeah, and I think uh, well, at least for Game Gear, um, I think Sonic Drift Two came out in Japan, and it's on the release list. It was mentioned in that Nintendo Direct a couple weeks ago that it is coming to America, but it's not out yet. Um, and what other uh, Game Gear Sonic games have you played, or just Game Gear games in general? Uh, not too many. <laughs> uh, I've I, mean, been, I, I bought Sonic 1 last week and actually finished it for the first time. I'd always played nice. you know, half of the game over the years, because it, it just gets it got sort of hard towards the end. Um I'm not sure I've ever beaten any Sonic game except for maybe Sonic 2 on Genesis. I've beaten Sonic 1, 2, and Adventure 2. And Black okay. Knight and Secret Rings, but I'm not proud of either of those. <laughs> I've finished a bunch of them, but some of them I've just had to like use uh, save states to <laughs> to beat. Like the, the Game Gear one on 3DS, I just abused the save state function, really. The last few levels were just... If I didn't, if I wasn't doing it, I would have, I would have died. And I'm trying to think. I don't know if I beat Triple Trouble as a kid because I know I played a lot of it for better or worse, but I blocked most of that out as I got older. Because <laughs> playing that game last year was like this is all vaguely familiar, but I do not remember it. The thing with the the boss, the last boss battle on Sonic One is it. I didn't couldn't work out how to how to beat Robotnik for like five to ten minutes because he's encased in glass. But if you hit the glass, nothing happens. But I, I looked it up, and you got to try. You just got to keep hitting it until the glass shatters, and then you chase after him. But there's no indication on the screen if like you're actually doing anything. Lovely. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of those Game Gear games are just really rough around the edges, and. You should see more of a progression, I feel, as you go through them, because they're pretty much all made by the same company. Um, I believe that the first Sonic the Hedgehog game was made by, uh, they, that was made by Ancient, which was co-founded by the dude who did the music for ActRaiser, and more recently the Utrecht Odyssey games. So he's really good at making music, not so much at making Game Gear Sonic games. And then the rest are made by this company called Aspect, that pretty much just made a bunch of Game Gear games. Of the Sonic variety. I used to enjoy Sonic 2 on the Master System, so the Game Gear 1's the same game, I'm pretty yeah. sure. 
Yeah. Yep. I can't believe they actually had a Sonic 2 on the Master System. I'm, I, I'm frequently surprised to remember that they even had a first one. Yeah, well, they because they had it was the game here in the Master System versions were identical. Yeah, but did they release most games on both platforms? Um, early on, yes. Um, the, like the last, I think it's it's the first three: Sonic One, Two, and Chaos. And Chaos okay. was one of the last like Master System games released. I think it only came out in Europe. And the weird thing about that is that it came out in Europe in 1993. Wow. Which I mean, That's I think the Master weird. System had more legs in Europe. Yeah. Uh, One of the N- the NES NES wasn't a big presence in Europe, as I understand it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Nick, you would probably know more about that than we do. But. Well, yeah. Um, from what I've read, uh, Mega Drive and Sega was more popular over in Europe and Australia. I, I had a Mega Drive until '99 when I got a 64. So. Um, yeah. Um, so I guess some of the other games that we haven't really mentioned, uh, just kind of looking at what's come out, um, Dr. Robotnik's Main Beam Machine, which is a fantastic uh, Poyo puzzle game. Oh, and yeah. it's weird. Uh, this one I, I gave a positive review of. Um, but it's Mean Beam Machine like it is on Genesis, except for they added a mode to the Game Gear version. So there's more of an emphasis on single player because... Uh, you have, like, the kind of scenario mode, I believe they call it, where you're just kind of, like, you know, facing AI guys over and over until you get to the end. I think there's, like, 12 stages, and they get pretty damn hard. And then you have, you know, the verses, where you can verse another person, and you can do that on the Game Gear. I'm not sure if you can do it on the 3DS one. I kind of forget. I think you can, but you both need to have copies of the game. Um, and then, uh, what was the other one? Um, yeah, and then there's, like, versus the computer, and then there's this... Uh, Maybe it's not scenario mode. I don't know. There's some kind of puzzle mode where it's kind of like, it's like, you know, get all of the red blobs out and then, you know, complete that challenge and then move on to another one. So it's kind of nice in the portable one where you'd probably be playing it by yourself more. They added in a mode that gave you kind of more to do. I always really liked the Genesis version of this game. I might have to check out the, uh, the virtual yeah, console release. I think it's only three bucks. Nice. It's, it's totally worth it. You know, blow up the screen a little bit because it's a little tough because it's yeah. a bit... If you if you view it at native resolution, it's it's really frustrating to play. But I found once I blew it up to like the not like the stretched out, but just the one where it's kind of somewhat stretched out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that that was a lot better because I was getting really frustrated when I first played it uh, when it was natural resolution. Sure, sure. Um, and then Defenders of Oasis, which is an RPG that is apparently pretty good. Um, I believe that James Dawson, by the time you hear this, will have reviewed it for the site. So go check that out. Um, I'm, I'm on the fence. I'll probably it'll depend on what James has to say about it if I pick this up or not. Because it is, I mean, from what I hear, it's it's like a full fledged RPG on the Game Gear. Like I'm not much of an RPG gamer, but <laughs> recent events have kind of put me in the mood for one. So I might uh I might bite on that. I don't know. Yeah, and then. Uh, Andy, you've been playing Shining Force, the Sword of Hagia. Speaking of recent events, yes, this is like the, the only RPG that I've played in in a, in a long time uh, for more than like 15 minutes. Uh, so I, I'm a huge Shining Force fan. Like I grew up playing the first two Genesis games. Uh, I have very very fond memories of playing those games uh, when I was when I was in high school and, and I guess middle school to some extent as well. Um, but and and I had even tried replaying them a few times more recently, and I qu- couldn't quite get into it like I had before. Like I, I they 
they re-released the first Shining Force game as a remake on GBA, and I played it for a little bit, but really couldn't get into it. And then I bought both games on the Virtual Console for Wii and played both of them a little bit, but never got too far. Um, so I kind of had low expectations for the Game Gear game, which I had never played before. Uh, but I was really surprised to find myself really digging it. So I put probably six, maybe even seven hours in by this point. Um, and it's it's very much a slightly watered-down version of what the Genesis game was, which is to say all the battles are more or less the same, but the Genesis version had these like kind of exploratory segments between battles where you just walk around the overworld map from like objective to objective, and those have been completely taken out of the Game Gear game entirely. So it's basically... Which I really think it's a bad, bad thing. No, it's not, because that's actually one of the weaker parts of, of Shining Force. It's clearly a tactical strategy game, not an overhead RPG exploration game. And those parts of the Shining Force games have always felt a little bit um, shoehorned. Yeah. Um, so actually, when you take out those, those segments, it feels a lot more like Fire Emblem. Because Fire <laughs> Emblem, you just go from battle to battle to battle. And th- there's some like brief uh, in in-game engine, so to speak, cutscenes um, with some dialogue that kind of drives the story. The story's not worth paying attention to. There's there's a, a sword, and someone steals it, and you have to get it back, but then there's a twist, and some of your other, your other army goes missing, and you have to go find them. Like, there's l- such little interest in actually what's happening in the game, but the, the characters are relatively well fleshed out, and even though you basically really only get, only get to know them through how they fight, you you know you start having favorites, and you start favoring them. I think I, I haven't played a lot of Fire Emblem games, but I assume it's true of Fire Emblem the same way it's true of Shining Force that because the characters are all named and because you see these like detailed portraits of them, you grow relatively attached to them over the course oh, of the game, and you don't want anything bad to happen to them. Now. Fire Emblem has permadeath, which where Shining Force doesn't. So if they die, no big deal. You, you you can even, in fact, like like Fire Emblem, you end up replaying battles over and over again. But unlike in Fire Emblem, it's actually a good thing because when when one of your characters dies, the only real penalty is that they're not going to get any chance to get experience over the course of the battle. So instead of just restarting from your save, you just cast a, a, a retreat spell go back to your base, resurrect your guy, and then fight over again. And you get to keep all the experience oh, cool. that you just earned in the in the portion of the battle that you already played. So it's actually a grind. So if your character if you if you go through the battle without losing any characters, you actually lose the opportunity to grind and you could actually pay for that later on. So I have no problem restarting a battle just because I lost a character because the character's not really gone and I get a chance to effectively double my experience from the battle. It's, it's kind of cool. Um, it kind of works the same way that uh, Fire Emblem does without permadeath in the new game, which is to say that if your main character dies, then it's game over. You have over. to restart. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think you actually still keep your experience, but the battle ends and you lose half your gold. Oh, so okay. Even then, you still you still don't have that big of a penalty because gold's not that important in this game. Um, but it's I'm having a lot of fun with it. Like, the battles are... I think it's a relatively easy game, which is perfect for me because I'm not any good at these games. And <laughs> I think it's at the sweet spot for me that I'm enjoying playing through it without getting too frustrated. There's only been a couple of battles where I, I felt like 
I lost unfairly, and that would happen much, much earlier on in a Fire Emblem game. In fact, I never actually really played much of Fire Emblem Awakening, because I got like four battles in, and it was getting my ass handed to me, even on casual. And I was like, well, this is not fun, so I stopped playing. And I have the game still, and I intend to go back to it one of these days, but in fact, uh, playing Shining Force has kind of got me in the mood for it. So I, I'm really enjoying it. I, I, re I reviewed it for the site with the review mini. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Um, it's it's a good game. If if you're a Fire Emblem fan, I would definitely check it out because it's four bucks. You know, it's four bucks for a competent, if a bit archaic, strategy RPG. I mean, if you would pay four bucks for an NES Fire Emblem game on 3DS, you should pay four bucks for a Game Gear Shining Force game. Yeah, well, I did. I just Animal Crossing. <laughs> yeah, actually, well, I I had the luxury of having had a couple of weeks head start on Animal Crossing, so I'm a little more burned out than a lot of other people. Uh, Shining Force killed my Animal Crossing addiction. I'm actually like, when I when I pick up my system now and I think about what I should what I should play, immediately Shining Force comes up before Animal Crossing on the list. But I still like Animal Crossing. Don't get me wrong. I still I still enjoy it. <laughs> Uh, All right, but, so upcoming, uh, by the time you hear this, Crystal Warriors and Sonic Labyrinth will be out everywhere. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 will also be out in North America. Um, Crystal Warriors is actually apparently another Fire Emblem Shining Force-like game. Um, I don't really know too much about it other than it's a Shining Force slash Fire Emblem type game. So that might also be worth paying attention to because I think it'll once again be like four bucks. Definitely. I might uh, have, to have to check that out. Yeah, and then Sonic Labyrinth kind of looks like some sort of weird Sonic pinball-esque game, but with like the isometric perspective of Sonic 3D Blast. I haven't really heard too many good things about it. Yeah, um, it, seem, it seems the goal of the game is to help Sonic collect three keys and then head to the goal. Yeah, So. which I... If memory serves me correctly, that's similar to Sonic 3D Blast, but this, I believe, predates Sonic 3D Blast by, like, a year or two. It does uh, look similar. Yeah. And that, that's been out in Europe since last year, uh, and it's coming out in North America this week. And then Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which, Nick, you were talking about the Master System version a little earlier, that's coming out in both North, North America and Europe this week. That game is pretty cool. It's got, like, um, minecarts and hang gliders and things yeah. in Sonic. Yeah, which... I think... Uh, Triple Trouble has a lot of that same stuff. I know there's a minecart, and I think there's a hang glider in that as well. Seems to be a theme in Sonic games of on the Game Gear of let's let's just throw them in a hang glider, do some minecart action. <laughs> um, and then looking farther ahead, uh, Sonic Drift Two is apparently on the way, and so is a air combat Game Gear launch title called G Lock Air Battle, um, which I don't really know what that is. Um, I don't think it was really too well received. That's, I mean, launch title on the Game Gear, that air combat game. You can probably extrapolate what that might be. They gotta put Mortal Kombat on the Virtual Console for Game Gear. I would play that. Yeah. How has there never been a Mortal Kombat game released on Virtual Console? Come on. I don't know. I mean, actually, you know what? No. Oh. That's probably tangled up. And some kind of, like, the actual Super Nintendo version might be tangled up in some kind of legal stuff, because... It was a claim, wasn't it? Midway, was Yeah, it? I think a claim might have published it, and then Midway would have held the copyright. And both but... those companies are gone now, right? Yeah. I mean, Midway's well, gone, I don't think it? a claim's totally gone. And I know, that, I know that Warner Brothers owns Mortal Kombat now, but they might not 
Like, I know they did put out, like, Mortal Kombat 2, but I think that was based on the arcade version, which they would own outright, whereas the Super Nintendo version probably is tied up with a claim. Oh, I would I would download Mortal Kombat for any virtual console platform in a heartbeat. And I even already have Mortal Kombat 2 on my uh, PS3, but yeah. I would still... The, the, you Mortal, know, there's, Mortal there's Kombat never been, 2, for me, is the pinnacle of that series. There's never really been a good console release of the first game, because the 16-bit versions were okay at best. Yeah. Um, and I think they included the arcade version in like as, an, as a bonus in one of the uh, PS2-era Mortal Kombat's. But yeah. I never, I never played that. So, I think a virtual console arcade release of Mortal Kombat One would pretty much make my week. Yeah, that would be pretty sweet. Or put it on Game Gear Virtual Console. Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I want, I want Mortal Kombat. Get over here. And then the, the last game, sort of mentioning that's on the horizon, is Vampire Master of Darkness, which is apparently um, some sort of Game Gear Castlevania-esque game that was also on Master System, as are a lot of these. Did uh, did you guys um, play Columns much? I played it on Genesis. I, we did not mention that it's it's a puzzle game. Um, mm. I think it was another launch title on the game. Yeah, Gear. I have I've played Columns off and on a few times, and I've always found it difficult to get hooked the way like Tetris would hook you. Like it never it, really felt like the kind of game that really clicked for me right away. As a kid, for me, it was uh, I enjoyed Columns more than Tetris for some reason. I don't know. I just got into it. Well, I'm glad someone did. (laughs) Yeah, I remember (laughs) trying to. I wanted to like it. I think I had it on like a six-in-one pack on uh, on Genesis, and I remember playing it. And I think I might have had like an afternoon where I got into it. But I honestly, off the top of my head, I couldn't even tell you how that game plays. As a Sega kid, I had a vested interest in Columns being as good as Tetris uh, when I was arguing (laughs) on the playground. But yeah. I don't think I ever really truly believed it. Hey, the music was nice. I'm pretty sure. I think it. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. I think it was. That actually may be a game that I pick up for four dollars or three dollars or whatever it is, because I could I could play that again. And you can in the Game Gear one, you can apparently change what the columns, uh, the the beads are, the gems are. You can make them like fruit or playing card symbols or. Other stuff like that. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one thing. Putting six hours in the Shining Force has made me want one thing really badly, and that's I want Nintendo to make a better emulator for Virtual Console on Game Boy. Um, this, the Game Gear emulator is so polished. It's weird for it's weird for them to be outclassed on their own handheld. It's so cool, been. though. The re- one of the reasons I bought Sonic One uh, was to just be able to see the Game Gear emulator in 3D. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Well, Game Gear. Yeah. Is that, is that all um, we got? I think that's, that's pretty much everything that came out on Game Gear as well. So, <laughs> um, it's kind of funny because even looking at, at the Japan list, like pretty much after this week, North America is almost all the way caught up with Japan <laughs> for the Game Gear releases, which is weird because usually we're like several hundred games behind on Virtual Console. Lovely. But, One yeah. of these days. All right, well, I mean, uh, if you have any more questions about the Game Gear Virtual Console games, be sure to check out Nintendo World Report, because we'll have reviews up for most everything that someone on the staff is interested in seeing if it's good or not. Um, And if you have any questions about what you just listened to, you can email us at connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. Thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.
Alright, and that will do it for episode 91 of Connectivity. As always, you can send us your listener mail to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. Uh, if you get a chance to rate and review us on iTunes, that would be great. And uh, you should follow all of us on Twitter. Go to nintendoworldreport.com and look for the Twitter sidebar on the right-hand side of the page, and you'll find all of our usernames there. And that should do it. We'll see you next week. Music